Hey, everybody. Hey, summer's flying by. It always does. It always goes by too fast. Hey, I've been enjoying some time this summer being outside, doing some active things, being with my family, going on a family vacation in the minivan. And it's been a great summer. Uh, this has been a great series we've been in this summer too. The last four weeks looking at the life of of Moses. And I know a lot of us have been traveling this summer, so if you've missed some weeks, maybe you want to get online and, and check out some of those uh, messages. I know you'll be glad that you did. Hey, uh, this week we're getting to the part of the story. We're getting to the part of the story of Moses where God gives Moses the law. Okay, God gives Moses the law. It may be one of the most well-known parts of the Bible, the Ten Commandments. And even though it's so well-known, it still can be kind of hard to understand. I get it. Maybe you think about this part of the Bible as just being full of thou shalts and thou shalt nots, and, and it leaves you kind of confused. In the Torah or in the Pentateuch, uh, the first five books of the Bible, there are 611 laws. Okay, and the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments, those are 10 of those 611 laws. And you know what? It got me thinking. We have all these laws in the Bible, so uh, I wonder how many laws we have here in the United States. Okay, it's a good question. How many laws do we have in the United States? Uh, and uh, some experts would say, well, that's, that's an easy question. There's one. It's called the United States Code of Law. But it's tricky because contained within that code of law, there's, there's all these things called titles and regulations and amendments and treaties and common law and statutory law. And it gets really confusing. confusing. So in 1980, a commission was put together to figure out just how many laws do we have in the United States? And guess what? In 1984, they gave up. They couldn't figure it out, okay? Uh, some people think uh, there's some estimates that it's about 50,000 federal laws right now. And, and some uh, estimate that uh, on any given day that the average American breaks at least three of these laws. So no matter where you are right now, you are surrounded by criminals. Outlaws, really, okay? It's, I guess that's one thing we all have in common. Uh, there's some really weird laws out there too, especially when we get into state laws, okay? Uh, when you get into state laws, like did you know that in Maryland, it's illegal to wear a sleeveless shirt in a public park? It's a $10 fine. Or in Georgia, it's against the law to keep an ice cream cone in your back pocket on Sundays. Now, I don't care what day of the week it is, if you're keeping an ice cream cone in your back pocket, that's just weird, okay? Here's my favorite state law in Delaware. It's illegal to whisper in church. <laughs> so leaning over to somebody next to you and saying, this guy's got weird hair. Or maybe you're going like, what's for lunch? Hey, that could potentially get you in trouble in Delaware. <laughs> hey, I wonder how that works with uh, watching church online. Can you whisper when you watch church online? I don't know. I don't know. That's an important question. We need to know the answer to these things. Hey, in the last four weeks, we've been seeing what God did in the life of Moses. Over and over again, using Moses in unexpected ways. We've seen that Moses' life was divided into three 40-year segments. So in that first 40 years, uh, he was a somebody in a palace in Egypt. And then in the next 40 years, he was a nobody 
in the desert in Midian. And then we see in the last 40 years of his life what God can do with a nobody when they listen to God's voice, when they trust and obey. Hundreds of years before Moses, God made a promise to Abraham. He said that he would have a special covenant relationship with Abraham's family. Uh, And that through that relationship, that the whole world would be blessed. And Abraham's family becomes the Israelite people. Moses is one of those descendants. Last week we heard from Luke about how God used Moses to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. God brought plagues upon Egypt and miraculously the Israelites made their way to freedom in the desert. And we got a taste in that story of the salvation that would come one day through Jesus. After the Exodus event, After the plagues, after crossing the sea on dry land and seeing the Egyptian army swallowed up by water behind them, God leads Moses right back to where he came from, back out into the desert, back to Midian. And I'm sure Moses was wondering, why did you leave me here? Why are we here? I mean, if you look at a map, check this out. If you look at a map, it doesn't make any sense. So, So Moses leads God's people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. They start out right here. You see this? Okay, they start there. And they're going to the promised land in Canaan. It's up here. You see this? Okay. And this story takes place, Mount Sinai is somewhere down here. It doesn't make sense. So so why did they end up down here? And I'm sure Moses was wondering, why are we going this way? Aren't we supposed to go that way? And I'm sure the people were questioning Moses too. Like, why are we going this way? Uh, When they first started walking in the desert, the Israelite people began to grumble and complain. And and they were saying, I'm thirsty. And and they started to say, did you bring us out here to die of thirst? And and so God works through Moses and and Moses takes a piece of wood and he throws it into some some dirty, marshy water and and somehow it becomes clean and safe to drink. And then just days later, really, the Israelite people are saying, I'm hungry. I need something to eat. They say, Moses, did you lead us out here to, to let us starve to death? And then they say, oh, remember the good old days? Back in Egypt, you know, I know they were merciless and and they worked us to the bone. They hated us, but hey, there was food back there. So God, once again, works through Moses. God shows up and he provides for the people. God provides manna and it's a type of bread and he provides quail for them to eat each day. God delivers. Then just a few days later, the people are back at it and they're complaining, I'm thirsty again. You know, at this point, you would think that these people would learn how to trust that God's going to provide for them. I mean, they've seen supernatural event after supernatural event. And in scripture, it says this, that Moses cried out to the Lord, what am I to do with these people? I bet he threw his hands up in the air when he said that. And it wasn't like when he put his hands in the air, holding the staff over the water to split the sea so that they could walk through on dry land. This time it was like this. It's like pure frustration. What am I to do with these people? Have you ever tried to lead somebody that that doesn't want to listen? (laughs) Kind of reminds me of driving the minivan on family vacation. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Are we there yet? 
Well, after three months in the desert, God invites Moses up to meet with him on a mountain, on Mount Sinai. It's not the first time that God's met with Moses on a mountain. It's, it's actually the same place, some people think, that we heard about from Anthony a few weeks ago, where God met with Moses at that burning bush. This is holy ground. You know, people have met with God on mountaintops for a long time, all throughout history. And I found that to be the case, that I experience God differently when I'm up on a mountain. Uh, maybe it's because I'm, I'm out of my normal surroundings, or, or maybe it's just that I'm a little more aware of each breath that I take that God gives when I breathe in that thin air. Truthfully, it might just be that my cell phone doesn't work very well when I'm up on a mountain. And I've found this to be true too. That when I want to hear from God, that I go to the physical places where I've experienced God's presence in the past. Those places that I know to be holy ground. I get it. I get the irony that, that this place, this church, is called Mountain Christian Church. And there's not a mountain anywhere near here. Okay, I get it. But I'll tell you this, I've experienced God's presence. I've experienced holy ground in the walls of our campuses. I have and lots of people have. But guess what? It doesn't have to be in the walls of a church. There's places all over. There's places for me like Susquehanna State Park where I've had encounters with God and I return there. I talked with my friend TJ a couple weeks ago about how he has a holy place with God sitting by a bridge on the Gunpowder River. It's a special place in his life. It's a place that, that he holds so sacred. He even got a tattoo of it on his arm. Do you have any places in your life that are holy ground where you know you can go to meet with God? Maybe the distractions are minimized. So on this place, on this holy ground, God gives a message to Moses to deliver to the people. And this is what he says. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you out on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And that sounds a lot like God is, is reiterating the promise that he made to Abraham. And, and in some ways he is. He's saying he's still upholding his end of the bargain. And you might be thinking right now, really? These people? Um, these people, that they don't seem very grateful. These are the people that God's choosing to bless the whole world through? I mean, God keeps showing up for them over and over again. And it feels like they have a pretty short memory feels like they have a pretty quick temper. But even as I say that, there's conviction in my heart. Maybe you get a lump in your throat. I do the same thing. I've experienced those holy moments. I've seen God answer prayers. I've experienced God's faithfulness and favor, and still I complain I complain about my situations and I wonder, why did God leave me here? Now, the Israelites have been living in a foreign land for over 400 years. Generations have come and gone. 
And in a lot of ways, they've forgotten how to interact with God. They've forgotten how to worship. Maybe they've forgotten about the promise that God made to Abraham. Maybe they adopted some customs and beliefs from their time in Egypt. And I bet during some of those long years of slavery, they asked some of those questions. Like questions that you and I ask when we're up against difficult situations in life. God, how could you let this happen? So Moses takes this message to those people, a message to obey, to keep the covenant, and they will be a holy nation, a treasured possession. And guess what the people answer? They say, yes, we'll do whatever the Lord says. So Moses says, get ready. Get yourself ready. We're all going to see God in an up-close way. So he said, wash your clothes. Consecrate yourself. Abstain from sex for three days. And so they did. And then God appeared as a fire on Mount Sinai. And there was smoke all around and the ground shook. And there, were, there was the sound of trumpets and it got louder and louder. And Israel was invited into a ceremony with the Lord. The pomp behind all of that, it kind of reminds me of a wedding. Not with all the smoke and fire, but it just sounds formal. And from that fire, God calls Moses up onto the mountain and he gives these 10 commandments. He says this, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourselves an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of all those who love me and keep my commandments." You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. And on it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that's in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy." Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male or female servant, his ox or donkey or anything that belongs to your neighbor. At this point, Israel had been a people for hundreds of years. And it's not like in all those generations that they were a lawless people, like they were running around kill, killing and stealing and lying all the time. They, they had a code that they lived by. They held a common law together. They shared ideals and there was accountability in the community. So God offers these commands, not as discipline, but as terms of a covenant agreement. 
And right at the beginning of the commandments is the statement, I am the Lord your God. I brought you out of Egypt. I care about you. I love you. I want to be in a relationship with you. And so to be in a relationship with me, this is what it looks like. This is how you're supposed to live. God says, love me and worship me only. Don't put things ahead of me. Respect my name. Remember that I've gifted you rest. Love your parents. Don't kill. Don't sleep around. Don't steal. Don't lie. And don't want things that aren't yours. It's like God saying to these chosen people, you want to be close to me? Then walk this way. It's like these are a way to know how to love God and how to love the people that are around you. I've done a bunch of reading through the Bible and a year plans in my life, and it's, it's a really good thing to do. Have you ever done one of those? A couple of times I've started at the beginning of the Bible, and I just thought I'm going to try to read through cover to cover, page to page. Uh, and, you know, I've only made it through once reading like that. It's a really hard way to do it. You know, usually when you start like that, it goes really well through the book of Genesis. It's like action-packed, and then you get to the first half of Exodus, and it's like a Hollywood blockbuster, and then you get to Exodus chapter 20. Right after the Ten Commandments, we get into a section called the Book of the Covenant, and it's a whole bunch of laws that, that seem really hard to apply to our lives today. It's a bunch of laws that were written for an ancient Near Eastern agricultural society. Like, if your ox hurts somebody else's ox and it dies, then uh, you take the and you sell the live ox and you divide the money and then you take the body of the dead ox and you divide the body of the dead ox. And I don't even own an ox. And I'm sure my homeowners association wouldn't even let me if I wanted one. But God gives all these additional laws to Moses on that mountain as a way to say, walk this way. I've chosen this group of people to bless the world through. And if I'm going to bless the world through these people, then they've got to look different than the rest of the world. He's calling them to a high standard. He's calling them to have a nature that reflects his nature. That they would be people who seek righteousness and justice and that they would be filled with compassion and kindness. I want you to hear this. God doesn't just give us rules so that he can be a scorekeeper up in the sky keeping track of who's naughty or who's nice. God is in the business of restoring all things, making all things right between him and people. And he could have done that all on his own. But God chose to work through people. God chose these people to be his agents of restoration in the world. He started with a relatively small group of people in the Middle East and he says, walk this way. Show the world what it looks like to live a righteous life, what it looks like to live in God's blessing, what it looks like to be used by God. In a covenant ceremony in the ancient Near East, both parties would share their story. They would write down terms and they would each receive a copy. And then a ritual would be held where they would make a sacrifice and sprinkle blood on both parties. Check out chapter 24. 
When Moses went and told the people all the Lord's words and laws, they responded with one voice, everything the Lord has said, we will do. Moses then wrote down everything the Lord had said. He got up early the next morning and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain and he set up 12 stone pillars representing the 12 tribes of Israel. Then he sent young Israelite men and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed young bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half of the blood and put it in the bowls and the other half he splashed against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it to the people and they responded, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. Moses then took the blood and he sprinkled it on the people and said, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. I remember when my wife, Amanda, and I got married. It was a covenant ceremony. It was a little different than an ancient Near Eastern ceremony. I mean, we didn't splash blood on anybody. But we stood in front of each other. We stood in front of our community and we made promises to each other. We said, we said I take you and only you to have and to hold, to love and to cherish. For richer, for poorer in sickness and in health, till death do us part. And those are the terms of our covenant. And I'll tell you this, I didn't say those words because I was afraid of her. And I didn't, I didn't say them because of what I thought I was going to get. And we don't hold those words over each other as a burden. No, those are words that we, we use to bless each other. Every day in our covenant relationship, we said those words because we love each other and we want to help each other be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And God wants to have a relationship with his people like that. He wants to have a relationship with you. He wants to make you the most pure, perfect version of yourself that you can be. Following God's commandments, that's a good start. That's a good start. Letting them transform your heart and your mind so that everyone around you recognizes that you're different, that God's working in you, that everyone around you recognizes that you're blessed because God is with you and they're blessed from being around you. That's what these covenants, that's what these commandments are meant for. If you read through this section of the Bible, Moses is going up and down that mountain so many times. He must have been in really good shape for being in the last 40 years of his life. But this trip up the mountain, God told Moses that he would give him the commands and he would inscribe them on stone with his own finger so that they would have a physical reminder of the blessing that they would bring to the world together. And so Moses goes up to the mountain for 40 days. And while Moses was up there with God for those days, God gave him very detailed instructions about how the Israelite people are to worship, how they're supposed to worship God, what their sacrifices and offerings should be. He gave in great detail how to build the, the tabernacle. This would be the tent where God's presence would dwell in the community of the people. And he gives uh, detail on how to build all the utensils that would be inside the tabernacle. The, the Ark of the Covenant, the altar. He even describes how Aaron and the other priests are supposed to dress when they're in the tabernacle. He, he tells Moses who the most skilled people are and who should do the work. There's five whole chapters there that are the blueprints for worship for God's people. And when Moses received all of this, God gave him those stone tablets 
to be delivered to his beloved people. Hey, there's been a lot of depictions and movies throughout the years of this event. Here's one of my favorite ones. Check this out. Moses went to the mountain and God spoke unto him. Moses, this is the Lord thy God commanding you to obey my law. Do you hear me? Yes, I hear you, I hear you. A deaf man could hear you. What? Nothing, I punished, forget it. Oh, Lord, why have you chosen me? What would you have me do for you? I shall give you my laws, and you shall take them unto the people. Yes, Lord! Lord, I shall give these laws unto thy people. Hear me! Oh, hear me! All pay heed! The Lord, the Lord Jehovah, has given unto you these fifteen... Ten! Ten commandments for all to obey! (laughs) So it actually didn't happen like that. But the return from the mountain didn't happen exactly how Moses expected either. When he went up to be with the Lord, the people were saying, were saying to God, we'll do everything the Lord says. It's like they're saying, till death do us part. And even after that. But while Moses was gone, the people once again forgot who they were. They forgot that they were God's treasured possession. And they break the first two commandments in the Ten Commandments. So this is how the story goes. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. And as for this fellow Moses, we don't even know what's happened to him. Aaron answered them, Take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters are wearing and bring them to me. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron, and he took what they had handed him and made them into an idol cast in the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. And then he said to them, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day, the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. And afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. God said, don't have any other gods besides me. And don't worship anything else but me. Don't create idols. And and in just 40 days, the covenant people find a way to worship something else. They give credit to a statue for their freedom from Egypt. Now, these are the very people who saw God split the seas, who saw God give manna for them to eat, who saw God's presence on the mountain as smoke and fire, and they bow down before a calf. How could they? Maybe you've asked that question. I think that sometimes. But then pretty quickly I remember there's times when I'm tempted to worship at the foot of an idol. 
Some historians point out that the Israelites may have been falling into some old patterns here because the Egyptians had a God that looked like a golden cow. So maybe they were trying to worship God, but they just didn't know how. Maybe they were trying to worship and they forgot who they were worshiping. Uh, they, They didn't know how to love God first. These people needed to relearn how to walk. You got any idols in your life? It can be anything that you love more than you love God. Anything that you love first before you love God. Do you ever fall into any old patterns? When when times get tough, you start looking more like the world around you than you do like Jesus? And I know this, that most of us aren't making golden animals to worship. But it sure is easy to get caught up in things that are shiny. Maybe it's the car. Or your house. Oh, you know, like scrolling through those real estate listings online. Man, if I just had that house, that would be the thing that would make me fulfilled. You can probably tell what your idols are if you just look at your browsing history on your phone, right? It could be a team that you follow. It could be the stock market. I don't know, Bitcoin. You know, it could be anything. I'm really into guitars. I spend a lot of time watching videos, reading about vintage instruments or my favorite musicians. For some people, it's a political affiliation. Hey, and guess what? It can even be religion. Religion can become an idol. God wants a relationship with you. He doesn't want religious lip service. In the first five books of the Bible in the Pentateuch, We see this pattern over and over again. That there's a set of laws, there's there's guidelines that God gives, and then the Israelite people, they break those laws. It's the story of people who are chosen, who are set apart and then fail time and again. Just like how you and I aren't perfect, and as hard as I try, I fail. I know that's something that we all share in common. Hey, there's an old hymn that says this, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And I feel it. Do you feel it? Jesus comes along. And Jesus is the only person who ever lived a perfect life. Whoever followed and kept all the law And through him, through his blood, there's a new covenant between God and people. And this time, it's not just between God and the Israelites. It's between God and all people. Jesus invites you and me to be part of a new covenant, a new relationship. Paul says this about the life that comes through Christ. In the book of Romans, he says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Hey, Jesus comes along and he summarizes all the law in two sentences for us. 
He says this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And then he says, love your neighbor as yourself. We like to say around here, love God, love people, serve the world. I want to live like that. I want to live like that. You know, Jesus looks at you and he holds out his hand and he says, walk this way.